This episode of the 126 Pod is brought to you by 49 Degrees. Experience 49. The other sponsor is Minster Foods. For all the food you need. And welcome to the 126 Pod. In this episode, we are interviewing 11-time NFL veteran Jason Baker. We will go over the pre-draft process with him, and he explains how it's like being a prospect in the draft. Let's get right into this one. A graduate of Wayne High School, the University of Iowa in Elmhurst Little League alumni. We would like to welcome Jason Baker to the pod. Appreciate you having me. Thank you very much. Thanks for being here, Bake. It's nice to be here. Sorry about the snow today. Yeah, there's not much we can do about that. That is some nutty weather. As my wife told me, her her first visit to the Midwest in February, she said, you don't have to live here, right? I was like, nope, we don't. So you guys were in Indianapolis. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. seventy five here today. So yeah, and she's from Georgia. Yeah, and lived in California. Yeah, she's like, why do people live here? Because <laughs> we're born and raised here. Yeah. I was offended then. Now I get it. Yeah, yeah. North Carolina's not bad. Not. Nah. We we wanted to have you on. We've been so Jackson and I. Our big NFL draft guys. Were you a big NFL draft kid watching the whole thing on those Saturdays back in the day? Uh, you know, or, um, I would say, like, as soon as I got to college, I started finding it interesting because I started knowing people that were in it. Uh, prior to that, though, I was so – I mean, I was either – I was basically just a Bears fan and then a Notre Dame fan. That was it. Like, everything else didn't mean a whole lot. Uh, and if they didn't go from Notre Dame to Chicago – I, I didn't follow them a lot, but then once I got to Iowa and I started having friends going and, you know, people I was playing against and stuff going, it started becoming more interesting to me. So if it wasn't Chris Zorch, you didn't really care <laughs> what you're saying? Yeah. Chris Zorch <laughs> is good. Chris Zorch is great. Yeah. Well, we wanted to, we wanted to pick your brain on all things NFL draft. Yeah. Uh, how it was, how it was when you were coming out, how it is now. And so we got some questions we wanted to throw your way. And get your thoughts on, yeah, on just kind of how it works and the experiences and all that kind of stuff. So we'll let you kick us off here, Jackie. Um, actually, I'll let you kick it off. <laughs> so can you can you describe – what's that? What you he deferred. Yeah, he deferred. He didn't want it. Hey, so can you describe the process, like, leading up to the NFL draft when you were coming out? So you get done with your season in – December, January, whenever you guys finished up that year under under coach. Yeah, so it, it's it, it's really not a lot different today. There's different specific elements of it. So the cool thing is, is I have the, my perspective of going through it myself back when I did. And then I, I've worked with the University of Iowa for this is seven years. So I've watched this happen for the last seven years to guys. It's it's a little different, a little more intense and social media kind of shifts it a little bit. But um, the longest year of these guys life is their rookie year 
because their rookie year really starts back in like August of their senior year or their last year of college. So they go through their college season. And as soon as that last game is played, bowl game, end of season, whatever that is, they like go home for a couple of days and they immediately go, all right, how do I start getting ready for, uh, well, the first thing that might happen is if the, you know a, a portion of them will get invited to all-star games. Mm-hmm. So then they go and they play in all-star games. I was fortunate to play in two of them, but so that extends your season a little further. And Which ones do you play in? Uh, the blue gray and the East West. Okay. So um, anyway, and those are like back to back. So you get two more or three more weeks of football. And then immediately when you come out of that, there are pro days in the combine. Those are the next sort of calendar marks. And most guys don't shut it down for a couple of weeks and like rest or anything. They just start like pounding it, getting ready to do the things they need to do in a pro day. And so sometimes they'll stay on campus and other times they'll go to some facility, third party, private organization to go train for combine testing or whatever it is they feel like they need to get optimally evaluated by teams. Do they, when they do that, do they, I realize with you, with football players, legality guys are there all summer. So you're taking classes. So you maybe graduate before the end of your four years. So for the guys that don't graduate, do they just drop out of school to get um, prep or how's that well, work? Actually, I mean, I, 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 uh, I, I actually tried to graduate. Um, I tried to graduate that December. I, I was, it would have been a three and a half years, but I had to take one class. I had one like hiccup in a scheduling. So I took a Monday night class in the spring after my senior year football. Um, and so I went to Monday yeah. night, I went to class on Monday night. And after that, it was, I, I lived and breathed. Training. Training. Yeah. So, um, but you know, that doesn't end, you know, if, if they end up getting, you know, they go to their pro days and they perform and they go to the combine, if they're invited to the combine and they do their thing there and then the draft happens, and then like right after the draft, it'll be different this year because of COVID, but right after the draft, they go to a, they go to wherever they get taken by or wherever they sign. And so that yeah, that kid's season, which started in the summer before their senior year, literally doesn't stop until after their rookie year. So it is, we start reading about guys getting hurt and stuff that a lot of it has to do with guys. They go, normally they play for seven months and rest for three or four now it's this last year has just been a long, like, so the guys you're reading about right now have not slowed down since July 4th, probably when they were wherever they were having a July 4th COVID party last year, they've been going hard always since. So pretty similar model. Now the combine obviously is different because they're not doing it in person. Uh, but the combine is mostly medical. Okay. I got tend to grab Like the purpose of the combine originally was just a, coordinated way to get everyone that they the league the teams wanted to evaluate medically in the same place so they could do it efficiently yeah with the internet being what the internet is now i mean you can you can see every snap every play every yeah yeah and it's not i mean even pro days now they'll go to them and then they have somebody record them they, they give the exact way they give instructions to some video guys they do exactly this and then they distribute them um which is good and bad, I guess. Like I, I liked the rush of having a room full of people there watching. Uh, probably be a little weird to have a camera guy and a coach and no one else, but knowing that, you know, 32 teams will be watching it. Plus, yeah. yeah, so it's a pretty intense environment. I mean, it's probably not set up 
in a manner that's really that considered of like optimal performance for the player. It's obviously built for convenience for the teams to evaluate the players. So it can be a challenging environment to perform in, I think. Um, next question. You signed as a free agent in 2001. Typically, there aren't that many punters that get drafted. Would you have preferred to be drafted or just been signed like you were? Um, pridefully, I would like to be able to tell people I got drafted. Um, 20 years later, I realized that part of the reason I was able to play in the NFL was because I didn't get drafted. Um, I thought I was going to get drafted. I was getting phone calls from teams during the draft. I had one team actually tell me that it would be taking me with their first pick on Saturday morning, which was a fifth round draft pick. That was the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I remember not sleeping much that night thinking, holy cow, like a fifth round picks kind of a back then was a pretty significant yeah. commitment to a rookie punter. And they literally drafted a different punter, which was kind of a, an emotional <laughs> roller coaster. Um, what? Who was it that they drafted? I'll, I'll let you do your homework and look it up. But we'll find that before the end of this podcast. He, uh, do you guys, do you have a stat guy back there somewhere in the closet? Uh, it's called my son sitting next to me. Google. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, look up who the Jacksonville Dra Jaguars drafted in the 2001 NFL draft, and you will know who they rope it up me with. He never, I don't think he ever played it down, but whatever. Is that so, so? Can we just get, go in there for a second? Am I still bitter? No. Yeah. <laughs> is this like the this like the Tom Brady going to the seventh round, and, and all the people they passed on? Is, did you, you knew you knew who this guy was, where where he was, how he was doing? He's actually, no, he, he's actually a good dude. I how ugly his dog was, everything. I, I, uh, I have no animosity towards him. I, I, he's actually pretty good, and I liked him. Um, you, you just wonder. Like, it's just a weird thing when, you know, why would you even call me? You know, that kind of thing. You're like, why wouldn't you just, you know, just don't even call me. But it's not like I can deny it. It's not like I can not answer the phone. Even if I don't answer the phone, they're still going to take you, right? I mean, it doesn't – you don't have to actually participate. <laughs> um, so, hold on. So, real quick, real quick. So, did you have a did you have an agent going through this process? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and so, so they're calling your agent or they're calling you or how's like how does that dynamic work of after your well all this that you just described going on, the the the, the combine so, the all-star games, your agent is involved in handling what versus what are you yeah, handling? So I was really, really fortunate. Um, the agent business is crazy. The agent business is really crazy. I mean, I remember like my like junior year at Iowa, like agents would, I lived with, in a, with other football players that were also uh, potentially going to play after college. And so like dudes would like knock on our door, like unsolicited, like, Hey, I'm so-and-so. And you're like, where did, you know, we're in there playing Mario Kart or 007 or whatever on the, on the, we're like, get out of here, dude. Like what, like, what do you mean? Like, I wasn't even thinking like that. Um, but I was very fortunate. Uh, I had a, an agent, my whole career named Frank Murtha. Um, he was the only guy that wasn't trying to sell me on something. He was the only guy that didn't come in and tell me all the wonderful things that was going to happen. He came in and actually told me and my family the truth about what my life would probably be like for the next 10 days and the next 10 years if it worked out. And it wasn't particularly rosy. It was a rough, real description and very accurate. Um, so he actually was part of the reason why not getting drafted was really worked out. He we never once prepared, even though a lot of teams were saying that they thought I was draftable. Um, we, we never anticipated being, we prepared as if we wouldn't, which means we went and did our homework with all the teams that all 32 teams. And we actually ranked out preference opportunity. We had it kind of scored up so that one 
teams run what happens at the end of a draft or as soon as they run out of picks, it's just a frenzy of phone calls. So if you haven't been drafted, they are literally in hours trying to get you to make a decision on where to go. And so we had 12 teams like here, come sign with us. Something like that, 12, something crazy. And if he hadn't pushed me through the process of like going through and combing through and deciding, you know, what this coach was about, how this, you know, all that stuff, like what the opportunity that like, and we were able to make a decision in 30 seconds because we knew. Um, and so that was very helpful. So my agent was very helpful in that. But in those situations, the personnel staff, the business side of football are the ones that are calling your agent. Sometimes coaches cross that line. But if it's a coach, the coach is generally calling the player. Um, you know, like a, per, a front office guy is not going to call yeah. a player in the draft. You don't, you don't, you're not watching the general manager call the quarterback they're drafting and say, Hey, we just took you. It's generally Bill Belichick, right. Or, yeah. you know, Andy Reed, but sometimes those guys are in fact front office guys as well. And there's some crossover, but. <laughs> what, uh, so when, so when they do that, when they're, when you're deciding as a free agent it, it, leading up to the draft or right after the draft is are all the, all the deals are the same. There's no, there's not really, a, it's really just to go, it's a tryout to go see. No, the, no, not, that's the way it is today. Back then it was not. So back, so then because of every guy that signs a contract, they have the same risk. Like if I were to go in there and get hurt, even if I'm the last guy, they, I mean, 110th guy they signed, right. Even in, if that early in the off season, if I were to go in there and tear my ACL up in minicamp, they owe me my, I mean, so they figured out that, hey, it's easier just to go get waivers and have guys come in and work out for minicamp, pay them a little bit to do that. So that's – but back then that was not the case. Um, and so they, there was a little more of a – I mean, there, there were – like I had, I had more money offered to me than people that were getting drafted in the sixth and seventh round as a free agent just because there were that – you know, I, and I ended up picking a – I picked a place to go because of the opportunity to play in the preseason because that's the only way you get a job. Yeah. Um, but I, I did, there is, there is some gap in money. It's generally not crazy, but you can, yeah. you know, a seventh round pick is your sixth, seventh, fifth, sixth, seventh round pick. Like their money is going to be slotted. Like it's going to be about this big of a gap one way or the other. It's going to be a little bit behind the guy in front of them and a little bit in front of the guy behind him. But when you're a free agent, there are guys who are free agent signings that sometimes are paid higher than most of them. Cause you end up with three or four teams that are just being stupid and throwing money around, you know? Yeah. Uh, but at that level, the money is not the type. You really can't make a decision there based on the money because they're not going to – those that type of money at that level doesn't lock you into a roster spot. Gotcha. So, what do you got, uh, Zach? Speaking of that <laughs> um, – Do we find our punter? Yeah, I found the punter. His name is David Weaverton. <laughs> From, From Tennessee? Yep. We'll find his career stats and we'll we'll see if we can get him on. <laughs> we still we still know him, so if you really need the number, we'll we'll hook you up. But I, I bet I bet you he wouldn't even. I don't even know if he ever he would even know that story. I mean, he would not have any idea. I mean, sure he would. He probably didn't, he wouldn't have cared either. But we'll invite you back on when we get him on to have this conversation. Yeah, he actually knows. So he knows he's from. He went to Tennessee, and my family was and lived in Knoxville then. So they, they all know, they know him well. My brother-in-law knows him. They're all friends. So that, that's part of the kind of funny story now. He's in politics or he was in politics and then just left and he does a lot of philanthropic work. And so interesting guy. Well, he's an actually decent guy. <laughs> he, wasn't, he wasn't the one that called me and said they were going to draft me and then didn't. <laughs> it wasn't his fault. Yeah. Uh, who did you sign with? Uh, I originally signed with the Philadelphia Eagles because of John Harbaugh. 
So John Harbaugh had worked me out a few times and uh, there was a really unique opportunity to go there. They had a kicker named David Akers at the time who was left footed and I'm capable of holding for a left footed kicker. I was also able to kick off, which they were hoping to be able to extend his career by letting a young guy like me kick off. And then the competition punting was with a guy named Sean Landetta, who at the time was 40 years old. And I knew at worst, he was really good, but I knew at worst I was going to get a lot of reps in the preseason. And so um, that made a really logical uh, situation and uh, toughest competition I've ever been in in my life. And I learned so much in that time. So much. So, grateful for that. so time out were those, was that the, the Eagles staff that's famous for, for Harbaugh was, was Gruden a part of that? Andy, Andy, Andy Reed signed. I love Andy Reed. He cut me twice. All those yeah. guys were there. Gruden wasn't there yet. Or Gruden was gone already, but it was, I mean, yeah, like they're it's a who's who coaching staff. Yeah, right? I mean, Sean McDermott was like a grad assistant guy. Like, like he was like fresh off the bus. Like I was, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's yeah. All those guys were there. Dave Tobe. I mean, there's tons of guys that were in, in Harbaugh. I mean, I mean, so the, guy, the, the head coach of the Houston Texans was like the DB coach there. I yeah. Mean, everybody on that, everybody on that staff was significant. I mean, Shermer, all these guys, right. <laughs> I mean, I used to go to I used to go to Catholic mass with Pat Shermer. He was a Catholic. We, like, we, you know, because we there, it, when you're at Lehigh and you're in training camp, it's like who, who's driving to off campus to go to mass? You just jump in, and so yeah, it was. I learned a lot there. Yeah, I was very I was very fortunate to have the opportunity to go there, and um, like I said, I, I I made it in the NFL because of not going to a place that. I mean, I got to punt a lot in the preseason. I got it was it was just a good it was a good situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> describe the process of getting the call from them and like, what are the immediate next steps after you get the call from them? They just send you a plane ticket and then show up here. Or how's, what happens? Hey, come out to San Francisco and yeah, you're going to play the next game. Um, I've had some crazy, I, I don't know how much time we have. I can tell you some really crazy stories about those types of situations that I had, but the, the immediate one, well, so um, I want to get to those in, some, in a couple of questions. Yeah, okay. well, yeah, that's fine. I'll, so the, the initial signing for me was much more stressful than delightful. Like a draft pick doesn't have any work to do. A draft pick's just like, whether you like it or not, you're going. There's no, I mean, unless you're Eli yeah. Manning, the first pick, and you can pull some shenanigans. Like there's no fifth round picks pulling shenanigans. So it just doesn't. Yeah. So if you go to a bad place, that's bad for you. Like, sorry about yeah. you. Um, so for me, it was more like, a college recruiting thing because, but I had to do it in like three hours. And my, I remember my family was at Hall's gas house having dinner. And I was like back and forth from my phone to, uh, you know, it was just, it was, and this is back when it wasn't like the phone, it was a different thing with the phone. But it was anyway, I was like out in the car in the parking lot. It was silly. And then we got it all figured out, but that that's a lot of nuts and bolts stuff that my agent would be doing. And Anyway, so once that happens, they give you an idea of what their schedule is. You generally have a couple of days to kind of sort your life out, get on a plane, physical, and then mini camp. You have mini camp right away, and it is welcome to the NFL from jump. So it's a little different now because the some of the rules around safety and how much yeah. time to be there in the offseason. But I basically went there like a week after the draft, and there was there till Father's Day. Had a few weeks off, came back, and went straight to training camp. Here's your helmet. Go get them. Yeah, sort of. That's kind of what it looked like. Um, 
So However, you, there are other scenarios that are much different. Um, so that's what I was going to ask you. You've, you've had a lot of transactions. Had, so my, first, my first five years, or excuse me, four years, I played on, I mean, I, my, in my fourth year, I played on three teams. Um, and so even though I signed with the Eagles out of college, my goal was to get ex, as much exposure and get as much tape as I could in training camp, hoping to make, if not the Eagles, some other team. And that was per my agent's advice. And that's exactly what happened. So the Eagles tried to do a thing they call stashing me where they, they delay, they delay releasing you as much as possible with the hope that you will, um, the hope that you'd end up back on their practice squad. And so they can kind of keep you kind of a, you know, cause I think they wanted to hang on to me for, from an age perspective, but you know, they were like a Super Bowl team then and Sean Landetta was like automatic. So they knew that worst case scenario, if they got in the playoffs, at least he wasn't going to kill them and he was still pretty good. And, but it was probably the end of the line for him or close to it. And they probably thought this would be, you know, I could sort of be the next, but anyway, it didn't work. The 49ers and a couple other teams claimed me, but I ended up immediately becoming a 49er. So I, one night in Philadelphia, I'm, I'm an Eagle. And then all of a sudden I'm a 49er. And immediately I'm packing my stuff and getting on an airplane and I'm flying to Denver, Colorado to go to a hotel where I then meet Steve Mariucci for the first time. And my team that I've never met a single person on that roster. I don't know a person. I've never caught a snap from the snapper. And the next day we're going to play the Denver Broncos and the incumbent punter gets to punt in the first half and I get to punt in the second half. And it's whoever wins, wins and has a job for the fall. The next game after that is the season opener against this the Atlanta game, Falcons. This is game four of the preseason. This is game four of the preseason. And I'm literally in Denver, Colorado. I know one person there and it's my uncle who lives about 20 miles south of the stadium. They're the only person I have. I mean, don't know a soul. Um, yeah. Real quick though, so you're, when you're leaving Philly, you get a call from who? Your agent or the team, the Eagles, or how's that work? Uh, well, me both. They call, they call my agent and say, hey, this is what we're trying to do. And they, they saw it like, hey, look, we're, we're going to put them on waivers, but our goal is to like, like, yeah. Or, or I can't remember how, or maybe they were going to try and not, and not let me go until next week and whatever it was, one of these things. And then my, my agent pushed on them hard and they did the right thing by him. My agent was kind of, he had been around forever. So he was pretty well respected. He said, hey, just put him out, you know, don't do it this way. Um, if you remember, Jackson, you won't remember this. This is long before you're born. But do you remember the game where the turf at the vet was bad? Yeah. That's the preseason game. Yeah. I, I probably have 25% fault in that happening. And I was the first person because I was out there so early walking around warming up and I was stepping in this little spot and I was like, what in the world is this? And, I, and Troy Vincent was walking around like Troy and Troy and I kind of had a little thing because he was a Wisconsin guy and I was an Iowa guy. And he was like the veteran player rep and all that. But I didn't really realize who I was talking to. I was like, Troy, what is this? And I'm kind of like walking through this thing. And he's like, whoa, what in the world? And he's kind of doing this. And he yells at Tony Siragusa, who was the rep for the Baltimore Ravens. And he came running over and neither one of them wanted to play a preseason game no matter what on, on that old terrible turf at the vet. And they were like, they started huffing and puffing and phone calls. The next thing you know, <laughs> we're like, game over like we didn't even tee off um <laughs> so uh, but in in that game the 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 eagles actually told my agent they came out and told me is that you don't get to play tonight i'm like what do you mean i don't get to play tonight i had warmed up and warmed up really well and there were people there to watch me there were like other teams that had expressed that they were coming to keep an eye on me because they thought that i would end up potentially being on their roster and the eagles knew that if I played really well in the preseason. Their likelihood of being able to keep me would be very low. And so they, they literally said that you're, we're not going to let you play. We don't want them to see you. 
And then the game got canceled. So my agent was just killing them for two weeks. And so when they got to this next thing, they're like, you can't do this. You have to put them on the street. You have to do it now. So it was like last minute. And like, so here I go to Denver. I don't even like, it's like, here, do you want this jersey? Like, try this on. Like, it was like Little League. Like, does this fit? Like in an hour before kickoff. It was really, really a trip. So mm. by God's grace, the my four punts worked out. That's how it went. So, And you're a Niner. And now I'm a 49er and went through two really, really, really challenging seasons as a 49er. Jose Cortez is the kicker. Is that right back then? Yeah. Pride of El Salvador. <laughs> did, did. My man could smoke a football and he could do it with no shoe on and better than he could with a shoe on. But I think no shoe like weirded people out. So he couldn't, he like had to wear a shoe just to like fit in. I'm not what? telling you like he could, he, could, <laughs> he could kick a brand new football with his bare foot. Like, like nothing. It was, it was crazy. Where'd you live? So you go to San Francisco and how does it work where you just, you're a 23 year old guy or 22 year old guy. And so they help you get an apartment or something. Uh, I, got my own, I got my own. Yeah. I went and got an apartment at, uh, on my own and got a furnished apartment. And my roommate was a guy named Vinny Sutherland out of Purdue. He was also the last guy to get off the bus. He had just showed up there and, and I shared an apartment a rookie year. And yeah, that was kind of a blur. The most vivid of those, that apartment, my only memory of that apartment, actually. I mean, I remember. Clancy and Mark went out there. What's that? <laughs> Did Clancy and Mark went out there? Uh, this, no, this was the next, this was, that was the following year. No, this year was my, my own, this is terrible. My only memory is waking up on September 11th. And because by then it was, you know, I'm it's two yeah. days on a day off, and it was two or three hours after everything happened on the what East Coast. So it was just yeah. this weird, like Jeez. waking up in a different world, like bridges shut down, every media source going yeah. crazy. And you're like, what happened? I just went to bed. And now they're like the world upside down. So that was a trip. But um I learned a lot out there. And yeah. So mm. what else you got, Jackson? Um we were looking at some of the guys you played with in, in San Francisco oh. the first couple of years, right? We looked at, yeah. well, I mean, you had some pretty established yeah. quarterbacks. You wrote down a few names here, bud, didn't you? Yep. You had Jeff Garcia. Yeah. Really great guy. Great, great football player. Four-time pro bowler. Is there, so when, uh, like someone like Jeff who, and there's a lot of, I mean, you played with Donovan, you played with Peyton Manning and Trey, I mean, some some Hall of Fame guys. Trent Green, Don McNabb, Paint Manning, Jake Plummer. Jake Snake. Snake. Yeah, Jake was a good Jake, guy. Jake Del Holm. Jake Del Holm, my boy. Vinny Testaverde. Yeah. Cam Newton. Right. Cam the man. Cam Newton. Jimmy Clausen. You can leave Jimmy Clausen off that list there, but I don't know who time. Jimmy Clausen yeah. is. I'm sure he's a really nice guy, but you know that that list is pretty well established there. So Matt, Matt Moore. Yeah. So, like, of those guys, Jay, from just, you know, watching the ESPN stuff and listening to the goofy talk show guys, you hear about, like, the QBs, you know, the first one in, last one to leave, studying film when it's still dark, all that kind of stuff. Is that the case? I shouldn't say not only QBs, but some of the, you know, the best players, the leaders on the team. Is that the case with the, the guys that you played with? We don't have to a lot any individual. Yeah, a lot of them. And, and there was other things that would go on that you would, you know, you may not be aware of, but like a lot of guys would have, like Jake DeLome, for example, had basically like a film studio that the guys went and set up in his house. 
So he could, he had a little kid, so he could go home, put his kids to bed and watch tape for two or three hours at night. You yeah. Know, like right now, like we're on this now, our kids are sleeping, like you could do that. Right. So he didn't have to go home at eight o'clock and I think he'd go home at five, but then he might be up till midnight. It just depends on, you know, different guys have different, have different scenarios. Uh, but yes, I mean, an NFL quarterback, it, 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 they are largely like really good ones are, are as intelligent as any profession in the world. And they have to make decisions like lightning fast with tons of data and be athletic and take punishment. There's just so much that they do. It's, it's really hard to process. And, and then the way the defenses work now, the similar model with the outside or the, the middle linebackers or what they call the Mike, the guy that's generally responsible for controlling the defense. When you get like a guy like, like everyone loved Luke Keekley. people I mean, there's no way a a civilian can process the amount of stuff that that guy's, I mean, he's playing chess with, you know, some guy that's won eight Pro Bowls under center on the other side. And, and he's got to go and make plays and he's moving guys around. It's just a, it's, it's a really impressive cerebral thing. Um, You know, like the, it's not the back in the day, like Mike Dick could just run downhill and run into somebody as hard as you can and see what happened kind of thing. There's, it's not that. Or Dick Butkus, excuse me, not Mike Dick. Um, it's a very different thing now. And, um, I, I, I do. I look back and think, man, there's, I've had some really, really cool opportunities to play with some really impressive people. Um, really impressive people. Um, yeah, so we've all heard the story about Peyton Manning. How he's like all this stuff. Yeah. It's about, he's yeah. Yeah. What is he like as a player? Um, Peyton was um, very, very, very good. Very, very well respected. I know people will say that, talk about all the people around him that were good, but I think he's a lot like Tom Brady in a sense that he probably made a lot of guys a lot better too. I mean, there's probably some balance between the two of them. Like Wes Welker was probably pretty good, but having Tom Brady throw him the ball, throw him the ball made him even a little better, you know, Marvin Harrison was probably a good receiver, but put the two of those guys together, and all of a sudden you have two guys going to Canton. Um, Peyton was um, really, really impressive with how he prepared. In fact, the, they even – and the Colts were smart. Like, they understood, like, hey, if we put good resources around Peyton, like, we can kind of just set him up and get out of his way. So they had – inside of it, like, there were, there were people that worked for the Colts whose job was to kind of, like, prep the stuff he needed every week to keep him moving and, and were sort of, like, almost answered to him. Um, in a respectful way and so you know he had that a lot when when a practice was scripted it was like given to him and it was almost like they just sort of observed while he sort of did his deal and so it was a really mature professional environment around him Um, but I'll tell you he's he's hilarious like like the, the guy you see on the commercials is a lot like I mean that's really not much of a deviation from what he's really like I mean I I remember one scenario where we flew to Iowa to support Dallas, one of Dallas Clark's golf events. I mean, Peyton Manning going to Livermore, Iowa. It was like, we joked that it was sort of, it was like the, like we always talk about the the calendar, you know, BC and AD. Like we joked that their calendar changed the day that Peyton went there it was before Peyton and after Peyton. Like there was like a phone tree when he got off the plane and we were out there, like people started like buzzing around all over the place around him. But it was, it was funny. So you'd think this would be a really stressful, annoying situation for him. He's out in the middle of nowhere and people are acting like he's Michael Jackson, right? If you can just imagine, they're just like losing their mind. Like, Oh my gosh, this is Peyton Manning. So he takes uh, like an icy hot type thing. 
and it's like a hundred degrees and there's bugs. It's just Iowa in July. It's absolutely miserable. And he's being like super friendly, but he's going up to people and he's like, Hey, how are you? And like slapping him on the back of the neck and kind of give him one of these, right? And then walking away. <laughs> person, he didn't even know him. But I'm like, like everyone's laughing and rolling. <laughs> Nobody knows what to do. Like when Peyton Manning just rubbed icy hot on your ear and you don't know what to say. <laughs> it was just, he just broke the ice with everybody. And then at the end of the day, we're in like a pizza joint bar place. And I'm thinking there's no way he can handle these people hovering over him. And he was, it was like he was wanted to meet every single one. He was really, really great. And just absolutely like, absolutely hilarious. Just so funny. <laughs> I mean, so funny. Uh, and he's pretty, he was a pretty good quarterback too. Pretty good quarterback. Yeah. Did you have, we had uh, our San Diego Padre reliever, Craig Stammen on the pod. We asked him about like a big league moment. Did you, that he was, you know, we were able to do something that, you know, you could probably only do or get access to because you are, because he was a, a big leaguer. Did you have a moment like that throughout the course of your career or after your career where you got, access to do something flew on this got to go to a game got cons whatever anything like that because you were an nfl guy uh yeah i mean there's there's always things that are like is there one that stands out though what's that is there one that stands out say man this was maybe one of the coolest things yeah i mean there was there probably two um like i went to dc once and you know, Pentagon, White House, the whole thing was kind of cool. And it wasn't like a production. It was just a colonel in the army that I knew well. And uh, uh, and then a, a Secret Service guy that was from here that was just a diehard Panther fan. So, I mean, we I, I was in the limo. I was on the helicopter, not flying those, but like we got to see them all. Or, I mean, in the Pentagon, like where I had to like turn my phone in and we're walking in things that they're like, you can't talk about this. And we're like, um. Yeah, like it had me hooked on that show, Designated Survivor, because it was like, I don't know if you guys seen that, but it's all just, the whole yeah. thing's like filmed in the White House. I'm like, this is amazing. Like, and I'm like, wait, that wasn't true. That didn't really happen. Like, there's no room like that. So that stuff's pretty cool. But, I, you know, I got to probably my three favorite ones where I went, I went over to, I went overseas into, uh, with the USO three times. So, um, Jackson, you may not know Matt, but one of your dad and I's very good friends served over there for a long, long time. And I actually, I was able to go to places like literally where he literally was. And then we'd come home and talk about it and just get to go to Afghanistan, go to um, Kyrgyzstan, these places where we've been fighting for years. I like, can just be around, like, that's, you know, you're on all kind of crazy aircraft and just, it, that was pretty, pretty fascinating stuff in all because of the silly thing I did on Sunday afternoons that, you know, so. Yeah. Um, those are the two that jump out the most readily, but I got to walk in the White House sort of on a <laughs> just because of that, you know. Like, so. pretty cool, yeah. Uh, yeah. speaking of doing stuff because you're an NFL player, did you have a merchandise deal? Mm. Yeah, you know, there was little things, nothing crazy like you might think, and, and I'm I'm even later in my career, when social media became a thing, I wasn't, I, I, I still do no social media. So a lot of that stuff's kind of shifting towards people with. One of the few guys on planet earth that is not a part of any social media. And I'll be the only one alive here before too long. I think because they're going to, it's going to, the aliens are going to have you guys marked and come get you or something. Something bad's going to happen on the other side of this. So <laughs> I'm the president of the anti-social media association. Good luck. Which doesn't exist by the way. 
Uh, anyway, so uh, Jackson, no, I mean, I had, a, you know, Nike and some other little things like that, but nothing that was like, you know, nobody's writing articles about like they did Kobe Bryant today when they announced it. Yeah. You know, discontinued and nothing like that. But it, it is, a, it is cool. I mean, there were, there was a, I remember. What, Tell me about what, do you, what do you get? Um, it, it depends on what the different year was. I mean, there's, there's some scenarios where there's some cash, but generally the biggest chunk is like, an account for merchandise and like a specialized way that you can go get merchandise that other people can't. Like I could, you could walk into a Nike town, you just call like a day or two ahead and say, I'll be there. And they're like, okay. And you have like a dollar amount that you could just go like, go do whatever you want. Um, I could, you know, we had like a specific website, we could go get whatever we wanted and things like that were cool. You know, then you'd have all the football related stuff you needed. And then depending on who you were and what, how long you're around that, you know, there's money involved and, um there were generally other things like a lot of times anything related to athletics so nutritional stuff like companies were always doing you know you get this and get that or if you you know yeah. I, I did little commercial things for cars and you know things like that nothing nothing crazy i mean but you could call nike town and be like i'll be there tomorrow coming with my family or one of my guys and you can go to the night, to the golf floor, to the basketball floor, to the Air Max, to the boom. There were no boundaries. <laughs> I mean, they limited the amount you could do in any given stop because obviously there's a inventory issue that, you know, if you end up, because generally, you know, if, if we were there, that also means there's probably 20 other guys on my team that could do the same thing if they wanted, right? So yeah. in an effort to cash them out. So, yeah, there's a little bit of that. But, yeah, I mean, you could go there and – um yeah kind of crazy i remember the first time my wife was with me on one of those she was like what is going on here and the best part was you just load it up in bags and leave it on the counter and be like here's my address and walk out the door and they would just <laughs> send it to you so you didn't have to carry it around either it was she your girlfriend at this time i don't remember she was my wife the minute i saw her but i don't know she true or false did you do this as a try to impress me moment yeah, no, I, we, we did go visit Vegas once before we got married and we did it in Vegas. And I, I do remember that, but I don't remember her caring much about that. Really. I don't know why. Thank God. Yes. Got to be careful when you pick them, Jackson. Be careful now. Um, can we talk about the Leon Washington no. shoelace tackle? <laughs> if you want. So describe so that day, buddy. So we'll we'll post the link to the youth. Oh, it's over right here. Here it is over right on Jackson. The, the irony of that question is there's a good Seattle had the best Nike town. Did they really? Oh, it's great. Yeah, I mean Eugene, Oregon's just you know. I mean I think that's part of it. You I guess know? that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So I I may have actually I may have actually gone to Nike Town the night before that play happened. I don't know, or the day before. It's got to be the shoes. So so. <laughs> Tell us about that play because he was a pretty well in for a while. Yeah, he was a well really turner, and he's a great dude. Like he's he's exact. He's not at all what people wanted to like. The conclusions you wanted to draw from watching that play are not him at all. He is yeah. like humble and grind. Like he's it's completely opposite. He just couldn't see me. That's all. Like yeah. He didn't. He he didn't have. He didn't know that I was there. Yeah, he was he didn't he didn't Leon let it or anything like that. It's he uh, just I, mean, I don't yeah, I couldn't tell you if he, he didn't feel like he slowed down. I don't know if he did, but if he, he I literally am like in a blind spot on him. So you know he 
So um, I actually hit a good ball. It was 40s and windy and cold like it always is out there, but I hit a pretty good punt. It was a left hash. We were on the left hash. I want to say we were somewhere between probably the 20 and 30-yard line left hash, probably going from the camera. TV camera would be like right uh, left to right, probably on a TV camera. It was right to left on our camera, so it would be like left to right on the TV camera there on the other sideline. Uh, the ball was a like a skinny left punt, so he probably caught it somewhere between the numbers in the hash on the left side of the field where the top of the screen uh, our guys weren't in good spot. We, we were pretty decimated roster. Some guys didn't know what they are doing. I think he – he had a cutback, which means he was coming back towards the middle field and cut straight up the field when he caught a vertical gap. Um, and then I was just able to sort of not commit one way or the other and play the long game and try to chase him down. Um, yeah. That's actually, I chased him down the same way you track a good fly ball in the outfield. You got to make the, you got to give it a little bit of a wide berth so you can see it better. <laughs> Jackson, watch that footwork. Maybe that's how you do it. It's important. But that was like a, I mean, I remember it very explicitly. And I remember coming off the field being mad just because that was the longest punt return I'd ever given up in my career, which was kind of annoying. I think he caught it on the 14 or 15 yard line. It was, no, he probably caught it on like the 12. I'm pretty sure it was an 84 yard punt return. Yeah. So he, yeah. So what was that? So he had to be around the 12, 14 yard line, something like that. And it should have just been a fair catch inside the, you know, 20, you know, like pedestrian six, four, three double play type thing over with, but nope. Uh, the worst part was they score the next play. We go three and out. I'm still winded when we punt again on our next series for chasing them. Like that's how fast in real time we punted again. I, I remember walking out there, like laughing under my breath to myself thinking I'm still tired from chasing that dude. I mean, it couldn't have, I felt like in, it was like real time. Like three minutes later, we were back out there punting. Again. Yeah, sure. It was like when you, when like, he's good, but like, you've also, punted to Devin Hester and just some of the, I mean, who's the best of all time. Uh, yeah. And he was in a really like Devin's really good. And he also had like extraordinary people around him. Like they were like an all-star team somehow on fourth down, which was impressive. Um, but like a lot of things, I think people got sort of mentally psyched out by that. Like there are teams who had a lot of success against them by just being like, here it is. Super aggressive right at him, right? And then he didn't really hurt him. But we we had a very um, – most of the time that I played against him, we would we would use the boundary. And I was that was actually a strength of mine was moving the ball around. And so that was a very easy thing for me to do. And then my last year in the league, we had a really brilliant special teams coach. Can, can you guys see sarcasm on a podcast? Yeah, we can see sarcasm. He was so sure we were going to mix it up and shock him. And he was like, let's do something completely different, which was not a strength of mine at all. And I didn't hit a good ball and it was a stupid play. And, um, she and Devin did actually get a, get me once in my career, but he he was a guy that we had a really good, it was just, you know, we, we were able to sort of not really pitch around him, but make it where he just couldn't, you know, you just sort of take him out of the game. He, he's just one of those guys you had to, in my mind, you had to not be too prideful and just be willing to, you know, challenge him. Go for the yard pond out of bounds if you have to. So, is uh, compare like the compare him with his skill set to a guy like Dante Hall, who's your teammate in Kansas City? Uh, who, yeah, very, yeah. very different. Very different. I think he had like four straight, right? Did Dante go like back um, to back, back to back return? Yeah, touchdown? he had a crazy stretch. I think, you know, 
they're very different. Like Dante wasn't as effective on kickoff returns as Devin was. Um, Devin Hester didn't change direction like Dante did. I don't know if anyone ever did. Dante Hall changed direction like he didn't like it's like gravity didn't even like it was like didn't deal with him somehow. He could just yeah, fascinating. But um, and and that year the Chiefs were loaded and had a really good group of guys around him, so that helps. I mean, anytime you see guys that are going bonkers like that, there's there's some help. And there's he's not he wasn't like a make something out of nothing guy. I mean he no one really can be. I mean, he's, he was impressive. Dante was good. Um, Devin was probably a little bigger, so he could, you know, he, he played yeah. a little longer and um, it was interesting though, as skilled as they were, neither one of them ever like panned out to be like, like, I, I feel like it, somebody could have used them better on offense, right? You just feel like, like if he can do that, like, yeah. somebody get him the ball somehow in a way that, and I mean, it's, you know, just neither one of them, I don't think ever really, no, no offensive coordinators really, the, the Bears sure as heck never figured it out. And I feel like if if whoever was calling the plays for Dante Hall on offense, they could have seen what Wells Walker was doing 10 years later, throw him the slot and whip him across the middle of the field, let him turn him loose. I think he could have been a guy that could have an application somewhere in there. But there's a lot of factors in that too, man. You don't, I mean, you never know like what the – yeah, what the unique skills are in there. But – yeah, there's been some good ones, man. I, I mean, my first college game was Rod Woodson or Rod Woodson, uh, Charles Woodson. Uh, yeah, my first tackle in college was pushing him out of bounds. Um, you know, Tim Dwight was on my our roster in college, and I remember thinking he was unbelievable. And then I got to the NFL, and like every week there was a Tim Dwight on the other team. You know, yeah, this is crazy. Yeah, that's probably the biggest difference between college and the NFL in my mind is the best player you played against in college. Every NFL roster has. 10 of them. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's my favorite part of the National Football League is unlike every other sport, you literally can get knocked off your rocker in any week, doesn't matter who you are. Like somebody over there could just go off and give you the L. Yeah. We got we 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 need to get you back on. We have one more question, but I think we probably have about 50 more questions we could ask, but this guy's got to get to bed here in a minute. But so one last question, Jackson, that you wanted to ask him about. Um, yeah, before that, I just want to state a fact. <laughs> so the Jason Baker uh, shoelace tackle has 59,000 views on YouTube. The DK Metcalf uh, rundown <laughs> tackle has 1.4 million. Which one looks more impressive to you, though? Like when you look at the athlete number seven of the Panthers, and <laughs> I don't remember what number he is, and you just look at like – like, I think when you watch me, you're going to realize why I stole so many bases on Bishop Lewis High School in baseball. Well, we're just going to go bicep comparison. You're wearing the long cotton baggy sleeves. Metcalf is not. No. He's impressive, isn't he? He's, he's a pretty big guy. <laughs> somebody, somebody the day that happened, like, started killing me. And they, somebody sent me, like, this thing where they were, like, overlaid. <laughs> it was like, like I think I've seen that. <laughs> I had a laugh about it. I think I've seen that. He is uh he is like yeah, he, he and he knew from the minute he started running, like this guy ain't gonna score. Like it's just a matter of time before I get him. I'm gonna get him. I thought that in my head, but I didn't know it for sure. You can tell the way he's running, like I got this guy. Like he thinks he's gonna score. I'm gonna get you, sucker. Yeah. Yeah. Uh last question here. All right, buddy. Describe your routine on a game day. So I was really, really heavily invested in my 
mental preparation for competition. So I always started my mornings the same. I, I was big on routines. I had a, I did what we call a rehearsal on Sunday mornings, um, which just means I can go through a, uh, uh, a relaxation procedure or you will like breathing techniques, that type of visualization. I would go through a script of visualization specific to that game, clean up, go eat breakfast. I was always on the first bus to the stadium just because I needed more time to get loose and field space is an issue. So the earlier we can get out, the more field space we have. How many buses are there? Uh, four or five. I have no idea. Probably so you, I mean, you can, yeah. So there's multiple times. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Cause just because of the way the pregame schedule works out, <clears throat> I would get in there early and, um, I had a, you know, good warm up routine on the field. You know, I was, I always love having music, stuff like that, just to kind of keep me away from it. I was really big on um, preparation, relaxation, just clean, clean, clear head. Uh, and then pregame, I was uh, I was a low rep guy, meaning I would try to have minimal exposure. So I would have maximum gas left for the game. And I had really strict routines on the sideline that I stuck to. I had, um, you know, just a nice, like, it was a situation where everything that was going on was understood by all the parties involved, my coaches, that kind of stuff. We all had a nice working scenario. We had good, clear communication on everything. So there was just a low intensity around everything, low heart rate. No, nobody was ever panicking. Um, I'd use pregame to get a really good idea what the weather was doing, what the footing was like, that kind of stuff. We'd pick out all the shots that we would anticipate during the game. Um, what time? So what, what time are the first bus gets to the game at what time ish? Oh, for, for a one o'clock Eastern game. Um, ten thirty. So ten thirty. So by by the time you get on the bus at ten o'clock ish. Yeah, you're one hundred and fifty minutes. Probably arrival one hundred and fifty minutes ahead out. We'd be on the field at a uh, hundred. You know that type of thing, like warming up, and then you just you kind of worked your way down maybe not 100 i can't remember maybe, no i'm sorry whatever it was it, it you, we literally like there was a thing on the wall that was like t minus and you just stuck to your benchmarks and you know if you're after if you're around a good veteran group and you know you've been you've had a few games under your belt everyone kind of is working around each other well and um yeah but then you know you try to have everything in order so you have as much clarity as possible at the start of the game and then uh i stuck to my routines really well you Jackson, I suspect you've watched some pitchers and stuff like that during baseball games and prep. Like it's a lot like that. My job was a lot more like a pitcher than it was, you know, the rest of my teammates. I was, you know, a specialist, so to speak. And so I had different uh, challenges of getting ready. And then halftime had a specific routine. I would go in there and eat a banana, take an Advil, take a leak, go back out, do my warm up. Um, yeah, so the cool thing about the NFL, though, is you have so much more sideline space and resources. And so we had plenty of time. To, you know, if you wanted a bike out there, you just had somebody bring one out. If you wanted a net, you know, whatever. Like, you just order it up and they'd have it. But I feel like the punters just walk back and forth, bouncing that ball straight down so it comes through. That's all. Yeah, Every yeah. time the camera shows them, they're just walking, back, just dropping that ball straight down and coming back up. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of value in being able to – most people, and this is probably not that interesting to you guys, but most people wouldn't – like a punter's greatest skill is actually starts in his hands. Like this will sound self-serving, but probably the guy that has the best hands on the team, top five guys will always be the guy who's catching snaps because, you know, there's thousands and thousands of those caught in a good punter or holder. If you think about the number of balls that have to be caught and then in the tolerance for a dropped 
snap at any given time is zero. If you drop a pass on second down, it's just third down. Yeah. You drop a snap, you likely aren't going to win the game. That's by the odds. You are giving back a possession, probably just cost your team the game. So lots and lots and lots of time spent with a football in your hand. Lots. Hmm. All right. One, one, one last question, Jackson. We got to roll. Yeah, last question. This is my personal favorite question of the entire thing. Oh, geez. Which stadium has the best running out of the tunnel experience? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, tell you what, New Orleans, when New Orleans was rocking, that was pretty cool. When You know, I mean, it, being indoors and the lights and the sound was always super intense there. Um, gosh, in any of the, any of the older market, like Midwest, even, even Cleveland and Pittsburgh and like these, like the, these people live and die for the, those teams. Like you can just feel it when you're in there. Yeah. That's always pretty cool. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you quite honestly, it's not in the NFL. I mean, the, the best tunnel experience is in Iowa City, Iowa. When, when the Iowa Hawkeyes come out for a night game. Back in black? Back, like, when they, when they crank that up and the whole place is blacked out and those kids come out of the tunnel. Like, even today, like, in my life now when I'm there, like, it, my, like the hair stands up on my arm. Like, you feel like, like those kids that do anything in that moment. Like, they'll jump out of the building. They are flying high. And, and, it's, and it's cool the way the stadium is built and the environment. Co college is a little more set up for that. Um, yeah, that, that's pretty cool, but, um, probably, probably the, for me personally, probably one of the coolest things was, you know, we, we, I was on a team that was able to beat the bears in the second round of the playoffs at soldier field. I grew up a bears fan. All my family's from Chicago. Like, you know, that was pretty cool coming into that environment. We weren't supposed to win and we'd beat the dog out of them. I had played really well. And in a time where it mattered, like we needed me to play well, you know, it was 20 degrees and. You know, just typical. Steve, Steve Smith. January. He run one back, Steve Smith, or did he catch a long one that game or something? Uh, he he beat him up pretty good. He was. Then he hugged the goalpost. Yeah, that, that yeah. Was, I'm surprised you remember that. Yeah, we by I mean by the third quarter we were on him. The second quarter yeah. we were on him. By the third quarter we were holding on to a lead. And, but that's pretty cool because you know I grew up. That was all I could you know Bears and that was it. I mean, but if you want to go see it, Jackson, you got to get your dad to take you to Iowa City, watch a real football game. We got to see. You'll feel it. Next time the Buckeyes go there, you guys can go watch the Buckeyes take another one on the chin. Well, I'm not a Buckeye fan, I'm a Dayton fan, but our good friends at 49 Degrees uh, created that ex that uh, tunnel experience. There you go. I was trying to set up an opportunity for you, Jackson, for your commercial. There we go. So we got to get the, the 49 Degree guys to get us no, out. They did a really good job. It's it's really cool what they did too. Yeah, it's Very cool. it's nuts. Hey man, well this was a lot of fun. This was really yeah, good. Thanks for uh, thanks for being with us. We got to get you back on here to talk more. We didn't even talk any. I had like a whole list of Cubs stuff that we got to get to that we didn't have time uh, for that. Which we can uh, save that for a better day when they're winning. Well, Arietta got them going good tonight. We're up. We're up tonight. Let me check it. I got I got David Leverton uh, on my screen over here. Yeah. So <laughs> Leverton. <laughs> Jake's taking care of business, and somehow we scored three runs. So I'm not sure how we did that because it seems hard for us to do that. But probably, One to three, bottom of fifth. Probably a couple errors on the Mets there. 
yeah, who knows? I'll take it right now, though. Yeah, well, we need it. I still don't, I don't know if it matters, though. We, I mean, it's, I mean, it matters, but we're still only talking about 15 games in. So, but the only game that matters, Reds are winning versus the Diamondbacks. Uh, All right, on that note, we'll shut it down there, Jackson. <laughs> JB, thanks for joining me. This was a lot of fun. All right, let's catch up. See you, Jackson. Tell your mom hello. See ya. Yeah, tell the family. Y'all be good.